Welcome, welcome. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a bunch of stuff this week. <laughs> I watched a movie. This week we are covering Minari. It was just nominated for six Academy Awards. Golf. Six, which I'm, I'm kind of like, I didn't even realize that. Famously, it's been nominated and a lead, an actor in a leading role for Stephen Yin. He also helped produce the film. Nominated for Best Picture. Nominated uh, in directing for Lee Isaac Chung, actress in a supporting role. Um, and it's also nominated for uh, screenplay and score. I, I've those almost kind of <laughs> washed away in the buzz of everything else. I'm happy to report that of the <laughs> of the Best Picture nominees, this is definitely the like the easiest going down. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's certainly very, it's very serious and it's talking about very, very relevant things that we're going to undress here and, and, and talk around. Um, but as far as like the best picture nominees, they're also brutal. They're very brutal. Right. They're very serious movies. You know, like the next step down from this, I would have to say is like the father, which is about also, but even still his God. world yeah. falls apart. It's like, it's not fun. Like that's not, it's not a good you know, like, and it's not, it's not that it's supposed to be a good time, but this whole sleuth of things, it's a very, very starkly stacked best picture list. So Minari is really the sip of tea in the middle of it all that uh, yeah. I'm really happy that we're uh, getting into the middle of it here, especially with all of the talk, um, not only with Asians breaking into the Oscars, but then also the of le- recent events just this week, the shootings in Atlanta. So it ties all into what we're going to be talking about here today. Mm-hmm. Mostly, we'll be discussing the writer and director, Lee Isaac Chung. This is a semi-autobiographical take on Arkansas in the 1980s and his experience growing up there. There is a surprising literary influence, which was difficult to uncover, but we'll get to that when we talk about his writing and how he came up with all this. Super, super, super cool. But the title... Firstly, Minari. Yeah, exactly. The, for the first Actimax, I'm like actively asking even my wife. I was like, what is Minari? <laughs> we're, we're like 20 minutes in. It's like, what is Minari? <laughs> yeah. We could assume that it's a Korean word, but it is the edible plant native to most of East Asia. It's also called the water dropwort, the Chinese celery, Japanese parsley. It's featured in the plot. So eventually by the end, you know what it is. And yeah. Chung had said in an interview, he was like, it's, it's a kind of weed we end up eating. But the main actress who plays the grandma, she was like, it's not a weed, it's a vegetable. So he had to say, oh, I can't mm-hmm. desecrate the name of this thing. But the actual kind of symbolism implications for it, hopefully we'll see in the story of how this whole piece came to be. Because you had said before that it wasn't quite apparent. Yeah, like the I, film I is very contemplative. Yeah. It's a wild, it's, it's so contemplative. It, again, it's a sip of tea, the whole thing. <laughs> and, and so uh, this follows a, a, an immigrant family settling down and building a farm and they're growing uh, Korean vegetables and the grandmother comes to live with them and she suggests that they plant Minari by the creekside. There's this creek far mm-hmm. off in the woods from the uh, fields of the farm. Mm-hmm. A- again, to bring back up the best picture stack list, the, the plot of this movie centers around where are we going to get water? Where, how can we do, how can we make this farm financially uh, solvable with getting creative? How do we use our minds to solve this problem? Because we can't, we can't afford to pay for the city water. 
So they try to drill their own, but there is a creek side that's in the woods that they, that is kind of brushed off through much of the film, and, and it is embraced at the end, and that is the closing moments. But you know, I'm 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 meditating in in the aura of that, and and I'm swimming in it. But I, I was still trying to define exactly. I want to get closer to what the filmmakers were really you know saying with the Minari, what yeah. that actually comes back to say. So I'm really interested to see what you might have judged up. Well, we'll get to that. (laughs) Got to start at the beginning, though. Who is Lee Isaac Chung? He was born in Denver. His parents were chicken sexers like they are in the film. And he lived briefly in Atlanta before moving to a small farm in Lincoln, Arkansas, which is super Hmm. close to the Oklahoma border. And they actually filmed the film in Oklahoma, closer to Tulsa, I believe, because Ah. of filming incentives and whatnot. But where he grew up is the home of the Arkansas Apple Festival, population 1,700, and wow. the demographics, just because I was curious, 91% white, 5% Hispanic, 2.5% Native American, 0.06% Asian. Wow. So he said they were the only Asian Americans there. And what is real life, I also thought was interesting, because it is, like you said, a semi-autobiographical take the characters are very close. A lot of the situations, the thing with Mountain Dew, which we won't spoil, he said he actually did uh, <laughs> as a kid. And he was saying his dad was always talking about the color of the dirt, really excited to have this plot of land. This is the best dirt in America. <laughs> and his dad had a dedication to growing yeah. Korean produce, especially Korean pears. They had Mm. 50 acres of land. Like I said, they moved to Arkansas. And also similar, his dad didn't tell his mom they were going to do this, which he remembers from being a kid, the conflicts of. And similar to his mom not knowing that, uh, and he had an older sister as well, has an older sister, uh, his parents didn't know he was making this film. They're very private, he said, and he didn't tell them he was making it until it was being edited and completed because he was oh so scared about what they were going to say because it's so personal right? and basically his life and a, a representation of them and he respects them. And it's so much more, just by what you're saying, it's so much more autobiographical than I didn't, I assumed. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, it, and so it, then hopefully we can uncover, it's like, well, why would you do this if it's such a sensitive subject or you're so worried about, but just keep that in the back of your mind that it's like, yeah. this is his, this is not something that he's necessarily like, let me just do a tell-all expose on my parents. You know, that's not in his right. nature making this. So how did he get into film in the first place coming from this town of 1700 in Arkansas and his parents are farmers? Right. He ends up going to school at Yale to study biology, wow. moving upward in the world. But he had a world cinema class his senior year and dropped the the medical science profession to pursue film as a senior. And he applied to 10 to 15 film schools, he said, and they all rejected him. Mm. And so then he said, I'm going to apply to three more. And he got in and then did graduate studies, got a master's in film at the University of Utah in 2004. There's a lot of schools out there gulping this week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, why? (laughs) His first film that he did This was super fascinating to me. It is a foreign language film, but not Korean. It is Kinyarwanda, which is the language spoken by at least 10 million people in Rwanda. Oh, interesting. It is the first narrative feature film in that language. 
Oh, it was wow. his debut feature film. So I had to say, how in the world? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where did that come from? Where does his idea come from? Yeah. So the film is called Munyarungabo. If I got that right, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. But, Please forgive us. Um, he, his wife, Valerie, is an art therapist, and she volunteered in Rwanda in 2006, two years after he graduated. And so he okay. went along with her, joined, and taught as a part of this relief base effort, a filmmaking class, providing wow. these students with training. And then he said, well, let's make something. Let's, oh, cool. Let's do this. So it's the story of a friendship between two boys. And this is after the Rwandan genocide. They shot it over 11 days. He used all the students, non-actors throughout the orphanages and students as the crew. Wow. Went to all the festivals, won some things. And that was his first, his first film that he made. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. How special is that? Yeah. Can you imagine be, like being a kid now and having worked on that? Mm-hmm. And so it extends even outside of that. So he now continues to be involved in mentors, young Rwandan filmmakers. He has a production company called Almond Tree, and it's uh, based in Rwanda, and they've produced several short films that have gone to oh festivals gosh. and whatnot. So he continues I adore to that. work out of there, which I thought, brilliant, genius. What an amazing it's beautiful. first beautiful. effort. Yeah. So he's in the independent, outside of the mainstream scene. What comes next is two other films, independent features. And in 2015, he co-directed, again in Rwanda, a documentary about family relations and the history of a genocide yeah. survivor okay. there. So he has a couple things under his belt, but again, very small, independent. Right, right, right. Um, but he's making, it's really started making sense. He's studying film. He gets, you know, she goes off to do this thing. He follows. Mm -hmm. He's able to, you know, apply his talents and, oh, whoop, here's a project. And well, here's a little other product, you know, it's no yeah, you know, wild yeah, smash yeah. hits, but like, this is the work. This is, this is really mm -hmm. what it, you know, this, he's just doing it. He's just being a filmmaker yeah. and he's pulling these real stories that, that, that are palpable. These are important yeah. stories and, and to be spreading it in that part of the world. It's, it's like, this it's is, amazing. This yeah. is what art should be. For. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. But we get to the point where it's 2018 now and. Like I said, he went and got his master's in this. He was originally spent all that time learning to become a doctor in some way. He's reaching 40 years old. And mm. so he's like, is this a thing that's going to be anything? And so this is where he kind of says, well, am I going to give up on my dream? Because he's officially taken an instructor position. There's the University of Utah where he got his master's is opening up a campus in South Korea. And so he wow. takes on a position to teach there, film, wow. but, uh, and he's you know, going to bring his wife and daughter and he wants them to live in Korea for a time. So they move and he thinks, God, I have one last shot at this, you know, like I should at least write something, you know, I'll at least write it in the few months before I have to go teach. And then sure. that's going to be my thing, but I can't, I can't not do one last thing. Give myself a real shot. Yeah. Yeah. Then the question becomes, what is he going to write? And I found an article on how he came up with this, but it only came out, and I don't know if people know about this or if he's going to talk about it in other interviews, but now that the dust settles, because he said he didn't tell anyone, this is the literary source that this comes from. And this is mm -hmm. a whirlwind of a tale. And he said he hadn't told anybody the true story of this for fear of sounding like a fool or a mystic. And I love foolish and mystical <laughs> stories. Ah. So off we go. This is him happening. Like I said, he's about to move to South Korea in a couple months. So he's what am I going to write? Sitting in a coffee shop in Pasadena, communing with something to try and get an answer. <laughs> and he said, and the, here comes the mystic 
stuff, a name comes to him. The name is Willa Cather. He's like, I don't usually hear voices in the coffee shops in Pasadena, but this name appears in the transom of his mind. He's like, who is this? Is this an actress? Is this a historical figure? I don't know this name. (laughs) This is not something that I'm aware of. So he goes, looks it up. Willa Cather is a great novelist, this amazing novelist, American novelist who died in 1961 and her works are in the public domain. Now, this is a boon for an independent artist to hear public domain (laughs) because anybody can make it. So he decides, well, I'm just going to follow the breadcrumb trail here of this random (laughs) novelist that I've never heard of. So he goes to the library. There's no Cliff's notes on her. So he decides, this is his logic, he's going to pick out the book that has the most duplicate copies because clearly that's the one that people care the most about. And that book is my Antonia. And it is about a boy who grows up on a farm in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And so he says, oh, I can, I can jive with this, this stuff. I'm that a led boy me, that course. grew up on a farm. <laughs> yeah, pretty close. <laughs> um, so who's Willa Cather then? And what is her deal? She is a novelist of the early 1900s. Her whole thing was about the Great Plains pioneering experience. Actually, after, yeah. writing, after writing The Great Gatsby, F. Scott Fitzgerald said, Quote, in comparison to my Antonia, it was a failure. Like he wow, liked that book more than his epic <laughs> thing. Oh and the reason God. is, so what's my Antonia? It's, yeah. It was, came out in 1918. It is about an orphaned boy and the elder daughter of immigrants who are each brought as children to be pioneers in Nebraska. Whoa. And it basically follows their first year in a new place, and it leaves a strong impression on the kids. And as a whole, Willa Cather's oh, work was super radical for the time, which I think also is why F. Scott Fitzgerald liked it, because it was you know insane to feature a lower class or immigrant families as the subject and not the wealthy, quote, you know, American families right, yeah, in right. literature, such as a Great Gatsby, like all these <laughs> right. rich people. Prop- so Painting the royal look. Exactly. Yeah. She also commented on women's rights, had a lot of subdued, but their sexual metaphors, like very interesting mm-hmm. stuff. She won the Pulitzer Prize in 23. Mm. But this is who he's just uncovered, and specifically this book. Well, it's like it's easy to see how he could be <laughs> vibing. <laughs> <laughs> right. So he's vibing with it. He's like, oh, here it is. So then he goes on to read more about her. And he reads, she had one experience with Hollywood. They adapted a book that she wrote called A Lost Lady in 1934, and she absolutely hated it. <laughs> it was awful. And so she said one of her dying wishes was that no one would adapt her books ever again. Oh, and so he's like, if this started mystically in this way, I'm not going to mess with a woman's dying wish. Like clearly, <laughs> that was not that was not the reason that her name came to me in this capacity. So he keeps researching and he keeps researching her story, and the more he researches her, the more he sees him because maybe this isn't about the story she wrote, but this is about her. So she, yeah. her autobiography, she was also a farm kid who then moved into East Coast academia. She had planned mm. to become a doctor and risked it by going into no the arts. Way. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. And she also had few small successes, but felt discouraged and thought about quitting. And the thing that turned it for her and this trilogy and my Antonia and what all those are based on, like I said, drew upon her memories of the Great Plains and wrote very personal works about her life. And so this is where it really clicked with me and the pivotal piece, the change, the point I think of all about this. There was a quote from her 
that he referenced. And a thing she said was, life began for me when I ceased to admire and began to remember. Mm. And so he thought, oh, maybe this isn't about her, but this is about me. And what a thing to think about. So this, is, this then becomes his writing process for this thing. He took an afternoon and he wrote down 80 different memories from his childhood. Wow. Spent the whole time just coming up with it, like drudging up all, not, not even drudging, like the good, the bad, everything yeah, yeah. that he had locked away instead of trying to admire certain things, try to remember. Yeah. And so he, then he took these memories, sketched this narrative arc about family, about rebirth, because in the same way for him, he was ready for it because now he's 40. He's at the exact age his dad was when they moved to Arkansas. Oh my God. And his daughter is seven, the age he was when they moved. He also felt like his dad, like he'd been irresponsibly chasing this dream in the same way his dad was chasing farming. He's been chasing filmmaking. And so he's like, oh, I get these perspectives now. I get all of them. Which is just amazing. The synchronicities, Taylor. <laughs> I the know. The synchronicities are off the chart. My scales over here are flying. <laughs> the last the last one, he's he's teaching, like I said, he's gonna be going into teaching. So he's studying and learning these other artists. And a and a person that he is learning about is Dostoevsky, the Russian author. Mm. As he's writing this script, he's been reading this guy's biography and literary analysis, and he says that Dostoevsky, the whole thing was, he's trying to find himself in every character. He doesn't just see himself in one character and make all these side characters. He really invests right. in every person. So Lee said, that's what I tried to do. And that's yeah. how he ends up writing Minari in these months in 2018. My God. Yeah. <laughs> My God, it's amazing. <laughs> this is, I mean, it's when... I love it. I, I don't know. I'm into synchronicities. I'm into parallels. Uh, this is stacked deep. Mm-hmm. And, it's and you gorgeous. have to go along with it. Like if you're him, you have to be like, I'm, I'm just going to keep going with this. How the stars align. I mean, yeah, it's, it's the planets coming aligning. you know, aligning. It's, it's, that's the thing. That's the magic of it is so few people are, have their head out of the sand looking for that. Um, and he j- he just or was. a lesser yeah uh, a lesser person would have made a adaptation of my Antonia, you know right right like they right. wouldn't have <laughs> they wouldn't have kept going, and then it would have been horrible, and then they would have been cursed right. or something. But yeah, <laughs> like we said, it's the it's the last chance. But now to get it made, that was not even his intention. Right? No, yeah, he's just writing to 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 have something palpable, tangible to to show for. It's like I wrote a screenplay. <laughs> So there it is. So he leaves it with his agent, and now he's on to teach in South Korea. It's 2018. That's his job. He's doing that for a year. Oh, wow. You know, and maybe continues his contract, and that's his life. He said, this was my thing. <laughs> we'll see what happens, you know, but not thinking anything. Stephen yeah. Yun, in 2018, he had just moved on from The Walking Dead, and he signed right. with this new agent, Christina Chow. She said, hey, Stephen, did you know that I also rep your cousin, who is Lee Isaac Chung, who what? is... A first cousin of Stephen's wife. They actually crossed paths at weddings, like they tangentially knew each other. What? And so this agent says, I have a script that he just wrote. Would you be interested in it? And it wasn't like it wasn't like Lee Isaac Chung didn't know this. He was like, I I knew that he was my cousin and that he's a famous actor, but it's like I'm not gonna go to him and cross this line and make a whole scene. But his agent did, because that's her job and that's what she could do. 
So he reads it and is on board. Once you have that, you can you can find the financing. If you have somebody that's just coming off The Walking Dead, yeah, we can we can get some <laughs> money together for this type of thing. Right. So he's on. They also get in a very short period of time, and I apologize for the pronunciation. Yun Yu Jung, who is huge in Korea, mm. she plays the grandma, and she, yeah. she like you can't even say she's like the Meryl Streep of whatever because she's that she's just her own person she, like she is, is an she epic in her own right has her own amazing career yeah behind, yeah you know 50 years her. yeah i watched an no interview. newcomer to this right <laughs> right um i watched an interview that bong jun ho actually did with her the director oh, and writer yes. of parasite and go uh, check out our episode on parasite exactly yeah but uh as an example of her epicness she has a reality show called yoon's kitchen in South Korea, where she's planted in a restaurant with other Korean celebrities, and they cook for strangers and foreigners who have no idea who they are, like as a hilarious bit. Like oh, that's wow. how famous she is. It's a joke how famous she is, and that these people don't know her. And then wow. there's even there's even a spinoff of that show called Yoon's Stay, and it's her and the main actress from Parasite who run a bed and breakfast for foreigners, and it's a joke about how they don't know who oh, they are man. and can they do these basic tasks like that's how big she is that's amazing so but it's so it's, it's funny like seeing the buzz around her i mean she's incredible in the movie mm -hmm. she's absolutely amazing in the movie so but people are being introduced to her for the first time uh here because in, she doesn't do States. american films yeah right yeah um but that's the caliber that she is she's also it's she's hilarious in these interviews she's so impulsive she said she read a few pages of the script she said i'm in well she had to ask is this this guy's life or is this some, and it's like, no, 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 this is his story. And she said, perfect, I'm in. And then nice. she also, also part of it was that she heard it was Brad Pitt's production company, Plan B. Right. And so she thought, oh, Brad Pitt. They, she asked, okay, well, how much are they making it for? They said 2 billion won, which is a Korean currency. But she had heard 20 billion, which would be like $20 million. Right. So she heard it wrong. She added a zero. Because she's like, today with 2 billion won, you couldn't even make a Korean film. Like a $2 million sure. film is super, $2 yeah. million US dollars is super small. But she it's was like, nothing. Too I mean, ten, yeah. 10 years ago, it was nothing. It's even less now. It's really amazing. And to have the star power that this will command and Will Patton, even an American star coming on mm -hmm. to second in the supporting role. He's amazing, by the way. He plays like the religious town in, in yeah, endearing yeah. nut that helps the family along. But to have that star power behind this and still only and to have Brad Pitt producing and you can get just under two million to do it. Mm -hmm. um, this is as close to as independent filmmaking as Brad Pitt's going to get. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and it's just so funny that she misheard and just was like, oh, 20, that, Tony, that doesn't sound bad. And then two, oh, like, oh, this oh. is, I know this. This is a very different production than I was planning. Because and some of this is literally a trailer in a field. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hot and no air conditioning. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, the whole thing, too, was the American differences. Like I said, she is top of the top of the top in Korea. And she right. thinks, okay, they're going to treat me, but nobody knows, nobody on the crew, you know, like, and they don't have the right. money. But she thinks, okay, they usually, if you're the star, like, you're going to have the first week off because you're working out the production kinks or the location kinks or this or that. Mm -hmm. And so, she, but they had her, she was on scene one, day one. They were nice. filming her at 6 a.m. or whatever. Like, <laughs> she doesn't get, you know. And then she thought, also, I'm old and everybody else is young. I'll get day on, day off. That's like a pretty typical schedule. But they had her working <laughs> five days in a row every day. Here, your work. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she loves it. She's in for it. Anytime she that she's very impulsive, Good. but she's also like, I gotta do what I said I'm gonna do. She's very committed. 
and that Good. that comes yeah, through. Great. And then the same thing in terms of commitment with the main boy, Alan. Fabulous. I mean, all, I mean, all the out the entire ensemble here is is so naturally beautiful. But yeah, uh, he he does a particularly amazing job carrying much of the weight of the film. I mean, uh, it, the movie is very much about the father and the, and that marriage, mm-hmm. but it is really through the eyes of the David character played by Alan. Yeah, and Alan, they said they went through ninety different casting tapes for these young boys. They all are non actors. The other challenge is they also have to speak two languages. Yeah, I, yeah. I, the, the you know in his first moments, I'm I'm like exclaiming at like how good this kid is, <laughs> bilingual, flipping between the two, emo- naturally yeah. emoting. I mean, it's like he's like he he is so he's so natural. It's just on yeah. the, on his it's just on the edge of his fingers. Yeah, um, the camera's not there. And this was his first film, and he was se- seven when they filmed it. It's um, a knockout, top to bottom. Yeah. So then Lee Isaac Chung hears about this. He cut short his teaching contract because they're like, well, we're going to film this in the summer of 2019, but he's teaching. <laughs> so he goes back to America to do this thing. And as far as the production side of it, we mentioned a little bit, but uh, Chung's father now grows Minari in Kansas City. And so mm-hmm. he took some plants from him to use when they used it on the set, but he still didn't tell him that they were filming. He thought maybe his dad what? was figuring out what was going on, but he didn't explicitly explain what he was <laughs> what he was doing this for. So he still oh hasn't told God. his family that he's telling their family story. <laughs> so I saw an interview again, Bong Joon Ho was interviewing, but he was interviewing Lee Isaac Chung and just asking as a filmmaker questions as a very curious man, because Bong Joon Ho is so precise and particular. Right. And this is very fluid and but it's, it's still like, a script and it's still written by him. Built they built everything in Parasite. Yeah. If you've yeah. seen Parasite and it feels totally natural, they built it. They built it almost at all. It's pretty mm-hmm. staggering. Um, and so you yeah. have a film at Minari, less than $2 million. I mean, they, you know, they got the land. <laughs> you got to get lucky. Yeah, yeah. So that's what he was asking because he knows that Lee Isaac Chung is a great filmmaker and has, how does he play with v- extreme specificity, but also serendipity. So he was asking about, it felt very natural and like we said, like covering every character. And like, he asked, like, was there a, a voiceover at one point? Because it does, like you said, follows the dad. But this seems like one of those kind of sentimental movies where you need the main character to kind I, of. I swear. And I was saying this, I was saying this in the first act too. I've expected this to be a frame story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly um, the terminology. I expected this to be, yeah, I was expecting this to be a reconnecting with the past type thing, an almost a la, you know, hillbilly elegy type <laughs> right, of right, thing. Right, right, uh, right. Seeing it through maybe the young boy is uh, growing up and revisiting one of these, you know, that was kind of where I was in my headspace expecting. I try not to expect too much. I don't watch a ton of trailers and I just try not to build up too much in my head about what the film is going to be before I before I watch them. But that was, I guess, my kind of my inclination is that this would be a reconnection through memory and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But it's not at all. It's played real yeah. straight. It was great that Bong Joon-ho has that sensibility to ask that question. Like, he's such yeah. a good filmmaker. He's like, did it? And Chung was like, that's so funny because I, I did write the script with the voiceover of the dad. Wow. And when it yeah. got to production, he realized he was like, you can learn as much, there's as much wisdom from the kids as the adults. Like it's mm-hmm. a whole, it's the whole family. So he realized the voiceover mm-hmm. wasn't working and took it out and reworked the ending so that there would be no voiceover. So that was one of the things where that was very specific. And then in terms of the serendipity, the stream 
where it was. They were looking for a place. They were looking for a place. They couldn't find it. The location scout uh, is from Tulsa. He was he was like, oh, there's this stream where I played at as a kid. And he was like, oh, oh that's man. perfect. Like, w- that has to be the place. And that's where they were. And then he said, we wow. shot there for one day. And Bong Joon-ho was like, everything? Everything from the stream was shot in one day? And he was like, yeah. Wow. That's just how they were doing it. Like I said, 25-day shoot. They had to get they it all planted done. that creekside with full on <laughs> Minari everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. That's amazing. And then in terms of the, the casting and the, again, the connection to the family, because Bong Joon-ho was like, he doesn't have the hubris to be like, oh, this and showing him footage of this was how my grandma acted. Like you have to do this. It's just like, don't imitate right. my family, like do what you right, will right. with the story. So that was also some of the serendipity that he added in. That made well, it it's interesting because it's it is his story. I'm not saying the movie, but in the in terms of what the the subject matter is, it's his yeah. story. It's the other author's story. It's other people's story. It's tr- it's real. It's mm-hmm. fake all at the same time, and that's what you kind of have to live in. This is not an adaptation, nor is it uh, like strictly autobiographical. But these things are real, and these people do it. We've all felt these types of things, you know. Yeah, it's it it it's threading that that needle, and it's a very very fine line. Mm-hmm. Looking at now the result of this, he finally shows his family, his mom, dad, and his older sister. After mm. it was made, he came <laughs> came home for Thanksgiving. Oh. And said, "Hey, I made this with um, all these stars in it." <laughs> right. Used it. Sorry about. <laughs> Sorry yeah. about. It, I didn't tell you. I thought you were teaching in South Korea. No, no, that's what I needed the Minari for. Was this <laughs> was this movie that I made about us? And he said. His mom and sister laughed and cried, and his dad sat quietly the whole time. And then he said, at the end, all he said was, good movie, and then walked outside to gather himself. And in this interview, Lee Isaac Chung's voice cracks as he's talking about it, because he said he came back and we hugged for five minutes, and he said, I think he felt that I understood him. Oh, wow. Which is really the most you can ask for when you're making something like this. And that sounds like the dad, how the dad would have responded in the film. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> very much, I've mentioned Will Patton's uh, character. He's the kind of yeah. the town religious guy that helps them on the farm. And so much of, I, I, saw, I saw much delight in the interaction between his character and the and Stephen Yun's character, the father, because mm-hmm. they are so different in so many ways. But they're not putting them that those things ahead of each other, and so they do find this kindredship between each other, even though they come from two completely different cultures and don't yeah. understand each other. That's not more important than what's here right now in front of us. So it, it's it, it was really enlightening to see what that kind of those types of interactions were like. It's, you know, set in the eighties in Arkansas. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing these these immigrants really get settled and seeing the culture that emerges out of that and the happiness of trading things because the the religious guy is not you know he's never grown these korean plants (laughs) but here he is learning and even having input because he is a farmer and he's grown things in this part of the world so there's definitely knowledge there that the stephen yun character needs uh Mm -hmm. because it's not a complete one-to-one uh it's really close but you have to have that you know oh we got to adjust it three or four percent oh interesting idea And, and seeing that mesh of these cultures come together is the beauty of of this film um the subtle just uh, smoothness of this film is so much yeah. of when people say this you know on, on the poster this is the film we need right now that's what it means because right. i i connected very deeply to just the even just setting of the film i come from rural georgia 
And so I was the entire time seeing my town in reflected in this uh, and, and, and understanding the questions that, you know, people I would have been around, who, how would they have viewed this family moving in and setting up a farm? Mm-hmm. And what, what would have been like if my mother had, you know, get you given them, you know, some, you know, just been neighbors, that kind of thing. You know, yeah. what, what would that have looked like? What would that have felt like? And how important it is to be bringing up those experiences now. Yeah. Um, because we've, we've really got to put more, <laughs> a bigger light on what, what we call the American dream, because this is it right here. Minari is it. Yeah. The, the, the conceit of this film is how can we financially make this farm, uh, solvable? Like how can we actually survive? How can we make this work? It is a dream. Um, so it, and, it's, yeah, those, and all even, those things are why this is so important. Mm-hmm. And even the dream of Lee Isaac Chung betting on his story. Yes. Because now it's off to the races. God. Because this then just went to the festivals. They made it in time, <laughs> won all the awards, <laughs> continues on. Like you said, six Oscars. People are like, what in the world is this? This is the story of that. 85 now, wins, 212 nominations. It's nominated for all the BAFTA awards. <laughs> yeah. It won Best Motion Picture Foreign Language at the Golden Globes. It's nominated for yeah. the entire scat. The cast is nominated for a Screen Actors Guild. There's a yeah. lot to be determined. It's up for a ton a ton of stuff. I mean, it, and it could yeah. take home the gold in the Oscars. I mean, it yeah. very well could. I mean, it's, and I, I was shocked even realizing it's nominated for six. That's huge standing. Yeah. And now Lee Isaac Chung, he, the two next things are in development. I don't know if he's still teaching, but he's definitely continuing to make films. Like this was his potential last thing, but he's developing a romance film that's set both in New York and Hong Kong. And then the big thing that he's directing and now rewriting is a live action adaptation of an anime film called Your Name, which if you don't know anime, you don't know anything, but it is massive. Like it was an instant classic. It grossed 303 million in Japan alone when it came out in 2016. Oh, wow. It is officially the fifth highest grossing Japanese film, the anime. It is the 10th highest grossing animated film in the whole world, and it is the 19th highest grossing non-English film of all time. And he's directing and rewriting the live action version of it. Oh my gosh. So that got passed that on to him. So it's like, oh, oh my look God. at those two. <laughs> yeah. I adore know. the, the, where he, uh, his influences here and the openness, you know, yeah. I'm, you know, not being, I'm not making my life. I'm not making an adaptation of her book, but it's all of it all at the same time. And yeah. that's great art. And that, and I feel like we cover these things more and more. And like, look what he, look what he came down to his life, what he knew about. Mm. He was able to bring yeah. that to the screen to the, and, and, and to bring that round with his own father. Yeah. I mean, Amazing. you couldn't ask for something more meaningful. <laughs> so we'll get to now the explanation of the metaphor for Minari. So the quirk about this particular plant is that it grows well in its second year. It's okay its first, but after it's died and come back, it grows even better than before. And the trick of it too, it grows. This is why he called it a weed and she had to correct him because it grows so expansively without doing much to it. You let it be and it grows in its second year, which I think is the perfect metaphor for (laughs) the director and writer and a call to like, go make some stuff that's about you, even if you didn't think you could or you tried and it didn't work. Like this is the second year. Yeah. Your, your story. I mean, you can't, People discount themselves, so don't be the first one to, you know. I, I, I heard that piece of advice. Don't be the first person to, to discount yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's like your stories are valuable. Your experience are valuable. And look, what if you if you can put your nose to the grindstone here and pick up on themes. And I know I'm not everybody's into uh, all the parallels and all those types of things, but I mean, <laughs> this is how he, this is how he did it. And, and yeah. to have something this amazing, this beautiful and look at the success. I mean, it's a rocket ship. So we'll see what happens here and <laughs> we'll see what happens here in a few months with the Oscars. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Taylor. I really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you guys so much for following along. I hope you learned something. That was that was awesome. That was one of yeah. that's probably one of my favorite discoverings. I mean, for real. I mean, just yeah. that that discovery of drawing on those influences and the openness of it. Uh, I just, I absolutely, it's it's incredible. It's so I hope you guys enjoyed it. Yeah. Hit us up at Illiterate Pod on Instagram. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you're watching, please. And you never know, we might do an episode on it. All you have to do is talk to. Me. Thank you all so much, and we will catch you next week. 